Welcome to the Kook Center Podcast, and here's your host. If that's a veiled criticism about me, I won't hear it, and I won't respond to it. Michael Preston. Welcome to the final Coog Center podcast of February 2013. I'm Michael Preston. A great introduction from Lucille Bluth there. I think anytime you can get an introduction from a member of the Bluth family, you got to go for it. And is it just me or does it seem like these last two months have just been flying by? I guess the advice I was given by my father a few years ago, when you get older, the months are just going to fly by. Now, I think that's mainly because I'm looking forward to a couple of vacations coming up, including going to Las Vegas, which I'll touch on here in a minute. And there's a reason why. Trust me, I'm not just going to bring up Vegas to bring it up, although if you know me, I, I don't need a reason to bring up Las Vegas. Uh, it hasn't been a good last couple of months for the Washington State basketball team now, has it? No, it has not been. Uh, last in conference play, and thereby last in the conference, with just a couple of wins to their credit. And it has been... Well, it's been a much worse season than I certainly thought it would be, and I think most of us thought it would be. I don't think there's a lot of people out there that thought at this point in the season, not only would the Cougars just have a couple of wins to their credit, that they would be literally in the basement of the Pac-12 conference. It, 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 granted, it is a conference that's getting better, not like last year where everybody was just below mediocre, except maybe Colorado at the end of the year. It, it is getting better, but it's still not to that level we saw a few years ago. So to be at the bottom of the conference table at this time is even more painful. And I, I remarked about something on Twitter a few days ago, and I, I you know it probably just glazed by most people, obviously, because most of the crap I say on Twitter isn't that important anyway. If you don't want to follow, at RM underscore Preston. There you go. First name's Robert, by the way, just in case anybody wanted to know that. That's why it's RM. You didn't ask, though. Uh, <laughs> it, it it speaks to how bad of a season this basketball team is having. If it was just mediocre, I don't even think this would be the case. It speaks to how bad of a season this basketball team is having that I'm looking for reasons to talk about a football team that was 3-9 and nine last year. Now, granted, you do have, obviously, Mike Leach, and a really good core of young players coming back. But how many times have we said that second thing in the last five to six years? So it, it, it really kind of speaks to how poor this season has gone that I'm like trying to get to spring practice for football as quickly as I can. And at this point, I, I, the apathy for me, I don't, I don't know about you, but I'm sure it has for most, the apathy has just so set in on this basketball team that, frankly, you, you know, it, it's not even a matter of just not caring anymore. It, uh, I don't even know when they're playing. I, I barely even know. The, the, the level of caring that – and, and this is what amazes me. When I was in school, that was the team I cared about. I didn't care about the football team nearly as much as I cared about the basketball team. And I, I, I realize I'm coming from a place of a – pretty much the only generation of WSU fans that really had a much better basketball team than football team consistently for a number of years. You know, there's been a year there and a year here and 
vice and you know all over the place but it was just it was consistently good basketball when I got to school and that's what kills me I've gone from that level of where I camped out the night before playing Nintendo 64 and Xbox 360 on a 19-inch tube TV I hauled down from my apartment in bitter cold and snow just waiting for a ninth row seat it's gone from that point to I I don't get the Pac-12 network where I live but Gosh, when they're on TV and I know there's a bar down the street I can go to with plenty of good seating, I don't even go there. It has gotten that bad. And what's what's even more, this thought also crossed my mind the other day. I, I brought up Las Vegas earlier. There's a reason I brought it up. I'm going for a couple of nights during the Pac-12 tournament. My friends and I will get there Wednesday evening, probably about 6 or 7 o'clock, and then leave on Friday. Now, if the Cougs finish where they are, I won't be able to see them on Wednesday. And in all likelihood, they're not going to win in the Pac-12 tournament because no no matter how good the team's been, they've never been very good in the conference tournament. But even let, let's just say by some miracle, if they're number 12 in the conference, that means you got to face the number 5 team in the first round. Let's just say by some miracle, they get past that. And they get to a game on Thursday when I'll, I will be there all day, all day. Given the choice between going to the craps table, roulette table, or a, I don't know, some crappy slot machine with a wheel of fortune on it, and paying my hard-earned cash to literally walk, you know, like maybe three-quarters of the mile down the street to the MGM from where we're staying... And watch the Cougs play. Man, I tell you, those dice and that croupier looking really good. And all those spinning little fruits and whatever it is in the slot machine. Those are looking really good. Has it gotten to that point for you? I, I can't be the only person who's sitting here now, late February, with this basketball team. And even when I will be in a place, I mean, they were down here in Los Angeles a few weeks ago. And I didn't even think about going. Granted, my employment situation was different then, and the you know money situation. We don't need to get into all that. But even if I'd had the the really good available cash to go, I don't even know if I would have gone. And they were right there. And I'll be in Vegas in a couple of weeks. And assuming they make it past Wednesday, I'm going to be even closer. And I still don't know if I'm going to go. That's the most dangerous thing. For a fan is is obviously apathy setting in. And I've emphasized before, especially with the football team in November, don't let apathy set in. That's true for the football team, and I'm letting myself violate that rule with the basketball team. Don't be apathetic. Don't just say, eh, whatever. I mean, we we here at Kook Center, we see game threads. You know, you used to see them with hundreds of comments when I when I first was just a commenter on the site. Hundreds of comments. Is there time for a shower at halftime? Buffalo Wild Wings, the most common refrain in all those threads, and it's gone. Gone. That's what stinks the most, is it's very clear at this point we just don't care anymore. And let me round my rambling up with this. If Ken Bone's contract situation is different, and yeah, I know we're going back to that, 
if his contract situation is any different, any different where the next three years are not fully guaranteed to him, I guarantee you we're talking about a strong likelihood that he's let go at the end of the year. Even with your Egbu coming in, Q Johnson getting eligible in theory, even with all that, and what should be a much better team next year, even with that, we're probably debating whether he stays or goes. And Bill Moose is put in this position by his predecessor, where it's not even really in his hands. But the other question that comes up, does Bill Moose even really care about basketball? Well, sure he does. He wants every program at Washington State to be successful. He's obviously not a basketball guy. But then again, to be an athletic director, you can't just be a football guy and focus only on that and then let somebody else make all the hires for the other positions. That's what stinks the most about this. We are in a situation right now as a fan base with men's basketball where we almost have no choice but to be apathetic. We have no choice. Do I hope that, you know, since obviously going to the tournament this year is not realistic, do I hope that Ken Bone can somehow pull one out of his hindquarters and get this team in the top quarter of the Pac-12 next year, top third of the Pac-12? Heck yeah. I want Ken Bone to be successful. I really do. I don't want to have to go out and find another coach. I don't want to have to go out and find a coach who's going to have a different system for these players that are on the roster. I think we already saw the trouble that that can have. I don't want to do that. But God, at some point, you got to do something. This apathy set in with the football team, you saw a coaching change. There was no contract issue there. Next year, if this fan base is still apathetic to the men's basketball team, you've got no choice but to let Ken Bone go. Let's keep our fingers crossed he can turn it around. We'll talk to Christian Capel after the break right here on the Kook Center Podcast. Stick around. to the Coog Center podcast. It is a very distinct pleasure to welcome in a, a guy I once told when we were sophomores in college, if Alex Brink threw for more than 350 yards in an Apple Cup, the Cougs would win. It turns out I was right, but I didn't really know what I was talking about. It's Christian Cable, the man who covers Washington State for the Spokesman Review. You can find his excellent work at Spokesman.com. Mr. Cable, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, Mike. How are you doing? Oh, doing, eh, you know. I'm hanging out. I'm doing. I'm doing pretty good. Uh, this is. Uh, I, I believe. I. I think it's your second full year uh, covering basketball over at uh, WSU for the spokesman. You were there with the Moscow Pullman Daily News, if I remember right. Before um, this, this team, at least you know, we, we've kind of hashed out a lot of things about it. Gone over just about all we can with this team. Pretty much just beat it to death. But I think one thing we haven't really talked about yet is this team's kind of consistency you know they'll play a game against Oregon or Gonzaga where wow they're playing with a top 25 team and now you see a Gonzaga team top three in the country and then other games like against Washington they lay an absolute egg in the first half struggle the whole game what what do you think the big problem has kind of been consistency wise has that been a really big problem and is there anything they can do to fix it at all 
Well, I think the consistency that you're talking about and just in terms of being able to close games out and that kind of thing, I think it comes from, one, from experience, and two, like you guys broke down really well on your site today, um, losing Reggie Moore really hurt. They don't have that, you know, that point guard who can really command a game and take over at the end and make free throws and all that when it's needed down the stretch. Um, you know, experience-wise, their game plan since day one, and it's been altered a little bit, I think, just because of how teams have defended him, but that was to get the ball to Brock Moto. Um, and so he's, you know, he's used to having the ball in his hands, uh, maybe not so much with the game on the line, mm-hmm. but other than him, I mean, you think about it, you go up and down the roster and you look at, you know, you got a guy like Royce Woolrich who could score 36 points, you know, against Oregon, but mm-hmm. is he is he, is he going to be that guy you rely on to, to lead you down the stretch? you got a guy like Mike Ladd who has really come into his role as a glue guy this year. He's had to play a bunch of point guard, but is he going to lead you down the stretch? You know, there's just, I think there's a bunch of guys who, down the road could be that guy, but you look at Woolridge, he's a sophomore. Devontae Lacey's a sophomore. Dexter Granger is a sophomore. Uh, DJ Shelton's a junior playing in his second year in the program. You know, so it's it just, I, I think that they're they're inexperienced and that their they're mm-hmm. best experience in that department uh, was dismissed from the team before the season started. So sure. I, 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 that would be my explanation. Okay. Oh, we'll get back to Brock Monum in a second, but I, I guess also kind of on that same vein of experience-wise and, you know, kind of how relatively young uh, they are when you talk about Lacey and Woolridge and Shelton, uh, it, it kind of seems from game to game, you know, maybe the thing they struggle in changes. You know, one game they're not shooting well from the field, but they do decently shooting free throws. The next game they're doing well from the field, but they can't hit anything at the charity stripe. Do you think that also kind of that lack of experience has something to do with that where they'll they'll figure out the thing they did wrong the first game, correct that for the second game, but then something else goes wrong? Yeah, you know, I think it just kind of goes back to that. and At some point, you have to look at how many close games they've lost and some of it has to be luck at some point, right? Because, <laughs> you know, no, you look at, like, uh, the Stanford game, for example. You know, Stanford was one of the worst shooting uh, one of the worst shooting teams in the conference at that point, and they shot something ridiculous down a stretch. They missed, like, one free throw. They were, like, 27 to 28 from the line or something like that. So mm-hmm. you, that, that might be an outlier. But, um, you know, I think it, it goes back to – when Reggie Moore was dismissed from the team, they became a different team. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, you know, there were some things that I, I know that they they probably figured they'd be able to do that they were, weren't able to do before, but there were a lot of things that Reggie brought to the table that they've had a hard time replacing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when it comes when it comes down to you're, you're down by five or whatever, you're up by three, but a team's making a run, there's ten minutes left, and that's kind of that, that time frame where things have really gotten away from them. Mm-hmm. They just, they, they miss that floor general. It doesn't necessarily need to be a point guard, and I know that term floor general is such a cliche, but that I think that really is what they've missed this year. Sure. Let's get back to the big Aussie a little bit here. Uh, Brock's scoring at roughly the same clip uh, that he was last year, uh, but you know, just the way he's been playing. Obviously, we've seen him struggle at times, and, and I think we've seen uh, teams learn how to play defense against him a little better. Especially uh, as you've alluded to, without Reggie Moore out there, it kind of takes away uh, a big threat to kind of penetrate off the dribble a bit. At least in my opinion, is that part of what 
has been happening with Brock this year, or are there any other issues that uh, maybe you're seeing in terms of, uh, you know, he's obviously scoring as much as I said, but it just something, you know, kind of seems off with him. Is it have to do with uh, Reggie not being there, or are there other things as well? Yeah, I think that's, that's probably the main thing. Um, he's The way he's been defended is not something that he's been used to throughout his career. Mm-hmm. Even last year, you know, Reggie Moore was, you know, he, he led the conference in assists, but he was also a, a guy who could put his head down, get to the ring, get to the free throw line, uh, stretch things out, and, and cause some trouble by beating guys off the dribble. But you also had, a, you know, guys like Marcus Capers who, who could, you know, could catch the ball in the high post and was really good at finding guys and would just, just kind of, you know, understood and, and could facilitate that way. A guy mm-hmm. like Abe Wadwick who could stretch the defense and knock down threes. You know, I think those are pieces that people don't talk about that they lost because, you know, they were seniors, so you you knew that you, you were losing them. So, yeah. you know, there's, obviously there's no expectation they're going to be here because they're graduating, so people don't look at that as as big of a loss. But, you know, I think, I think guys like that really, really helped out Brock. And, um, but, you know, I, I know Ken Bone mentioned the other day, uh, somebody asked about DJ Shelton and how his roles changed. And, you know, he's really struggled inside the three-point arc this year, mm-hmm. making two-point field goals. And Bone said something that I thought was interesting about how, you know, a lot of his success around the rim last year, because he shot a pretty high percentage last season from the field, mm-hmm. was who was, who was getting him the ball and where were they getting him the ball. And the obvious implication is, well, he had Reggie running the offense last year, and he knew where to best get him the ball for him to score. And this year, they don't really have that experience, so sure. uh, it, go, it, it does go back to, to that as well with Brock. I think um, he's, you know, and he said on Saturday that just about how he's been settling for a lot of perimeter jump shots because I think he feels that when there's an open look, the way that he's been smothered this year, and the way that the defenses have skied on him when there's an open look, I think he feels like he has to take it. He's talking about Arizona State and Arizona. He was a lot more aggressive. I think those were the kind of games that they were expecting out of him throughout the whole conference season, but it's been tough because he's been the center of attention. Sure. Three games left uh, in this season. Obviously no NCAA or NIT on the horizon. Definitely no CBI. Can't play for the Zebra Pens this year like they did last year. Uh, so basically, you have three games left in the regular season. Uh, what can they kind of do as a group uh, to maybe kind of you know give themselves a little encouragement? Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not too big of a believer in this, but is there anything they can do that they can they can hold on to for you know roughly eight months or so that says, look, we did this at the end of the year, we improved. Is there anything they can do to kind of help them carry over the next eight months till we get to November when they start playing again? They got to win. That's very simple. That's very simple, but I do like it. (laughs) I've been asking guys that, you know, variations of that question when, you know, when the losses are all the same and they're all so close, you know, the questions kind of tend to be the same. And the answer is, even as the losses have mounted and as the tournament and large bid hopes slipped away and all that, the the answer has always been like, you know, no, we just want to win. We don't care about any of this stuff. Like, yeah, it's, it's, we we do believe we're improving, and it's good to see that we think we're getting better in some areas. But we, but they want to win games. I know mm-hmm. that both people's the same way. You know, he was asked today about whether it, it's like the football team where you know they win the Apple Cup at the end of the year, and maybe there's a little a little sweeter uh, aftertaste to a three and nine season where you beat Washington than there would be otherwise. 
And you know whether that's the same way with basketball, and if, if you know beating the Huskies would salvage anything, and he said, "Hey, so beating anybody would salvage anything at this point." <laughs> that, that, he said, "If we we win Sunday, if we win against USC or UCLA, he said any any win right now is, is what they're after." So I think uh, you know it, maybe if they could take like two out of three going into the tournament, win one or two games there, I, I think they could point to and say, "Look, we we." kicked off our, our best player or one of our best players before the season our starting point guard um, we played the last I mean heck doesn't sound like Mike Lab's going to play on Sunday that's going to be his fifth game yeah. in a row he's going to miss who, who knows if he'll be back at all so you know mm-hmm. anyway, we played a, a bunch of games without our who turned out to be one of our best players this year you know we, we got uh, a 6'10 center who's redshirting who's going to be on the team next year they got Hugh Johnson coming in they got Ikeropu, that thinks going to be a pretty good point guard. I, and I, I think that the combination of those things could allow them to, to feel like they're at least going in the right direction. I mean, no one's going to feel good about this season when it's over. Yeah. But, I, you know, if they could find a way to win two or three games here over the next few weeks before it ends, I think that that would, that would kind of help. That would add to the other things that they, they already think our positive heading into next year. Absolutely. Chatting with Christian Capel, covers the Cougs for the Spokesman Review. You can find his excellent work on his blog as well, spokesman.com. Uh, let's go to the rest of the Pac-12. Uh, with the tournament coming up here in a couple of weeks, you've seen everybody there is to see in this conference. Who do you think, you know, we can, you know, obviously Arizona, Oregon, UCLA, kind of in that upper echelon in the conference. Of those three, who do you think has the best shot at winning the tournament? Or uh, you can pick someone else out if, if there's somebody else that we should know about that you think can uh, make a nice run in the tournament and get that automatic bid. Who, who do you think it could be? If I were putting money on it, which I would never do. No, you would know, um, Christian. You're, I, you're you're a good, well-behaved young man, if I, if right? If I were putting uh, Monopoly money on it, sure. I would I would go with one of those three. I'd probably take uh, I'd probably take Arizona. So I think they're the I think they're the most discipline. I think they're the, the most well-coached team. I think they're UCLA is probably you know, a little bit more talented but they're equal enough that I I, I just I like Arizona's I like Arizona's makeup. Okay. But I I have been I've been a, a big believer that USC can is but they seem like a team to me that's capable of making a run through the tournament that you know they've they've played really 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 well since Bob Cantu took over. Mm-hmm. Um I just, they seem like they, since Kevin O'Neill was fired, they've played with this just total confidence and looseness that I I think bodes well for a team that has nothing to lose playing in a conference tournament. Mm-hmm. So I would I would say keep an eye on USC. Now that I've said that, I'm sure they'll lose in the first round. But, uh, <laughs> well, you, you know, that's, I, that's I, the I great... Would officially, I would officially pick Arizona. Okay. But if, if and when USC... Makes a, makes some noise or wins a few games. I, I claim the rights to brag about it. Okay, so. no, that's I. You've you've put your flag in the ground here. I have granted you this homestead on USC. So so there you go. It's it's all yours. Okay. Uh, just so talking about. Let's go back to the other three: Arizona, UCLA, Oregon. You know, I, I think the NCAA tournament's a little bit of a different beast than the Pac-12 tournament. Obviously. 
is Arizona or UCLA or Oregon better equipped for a deep run in the NCAA tournament? You kind of talked about how, you know, maybe UCLA has more talent, but Arizona's more disciplined. Do you think that serves Arizona a little better in the tournament? Or can UCLA kind of, assuming they get in, which I, I believe they really isn't a reason they shouldn't, can they rely on that talent alone to get to get a somewhat deep run, maybe to the Sweet 16? You know, I just, this is kind of a compound answer, but I, it so totally depends on matchups that That's true, yeah. I have a hard I have a hard time even even trying to predict anything like that before the field's announced. That said, I do think that uh, Arizona's size and the fact that they've got three guys in um, Brandon Ashley, the big guy Tarzuski, and uh, you know they they bring, can bring Grant Jarrett off the bench, and he's a big guy can step out and knock down threes or whatever. Mm-hmm. They got size, they got length, they guard really well. I think at times I know Sean Miller's not always pleased with the way they play defense, but I think they have the potential to be a pretty good defensive squad. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I just there's something about Arizona. And I think they just have that uh, that that grit about them, if you will. Another cliche for you uh, mm-hmm. that, that UCLA maybe doesn't. Okay. And I think Solomon Hill's on like his ninth year of eligibility too, so that that's got to help him. Yeah, out. Exactly. yeah exactly. exactly. And you know, Solomon Hill—that's uh, a good point because he's such a such a rare breed in the NCAA today. That really talent, really really talented senior who has been around forever, has been really good for a long time, but he's a senior, and they have two of those guys in Solomon Hill and Kevin Parham. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that I think they're that kind of leadership. It really helped in March too, although there's obviously been plenty of teams led by freshmen who have gone quite a ways in the tournament. Sure. I, I, I wouldn't be doing my due diligence if we didn't at least touch on football just a little bit. Spring practice, I think uh, a little under a month away, if I'm if I'm not mistaken, correct? It starts next month, right? Uh, March 21st. Okay, so yeah, so a little less than a month away. Who would you say on offense or defense you know, you take what you will from spring practice. It's just a few practices in the spring, but who would you say has kind of the most to gain uh, in this spring practice with a really good performance in the spring? Who could who could really maybe see their stock rise an awful lot and and thereby their playing time uh, go up an awful lot with a really good performance uh, in March and April? I think that uh, it's kind of going to be an obvious one to go with the quarterback, but I think Carter Halliday could do a lot. Mm-hmm. for the, the quote-unquote quarterback race, do a lot for himself in that race in the spring. You know, it's, uh, I know that Mike Leach has said that uh, Austin Apodaca is going to have every every chance that Connor Halliday does. You know, he, uh, he's not going to say from day one, okay, Connor's our guy, and if Austin is well enough, he'll overtake him. Like, no, you know, I think they I think they are probably They're going to start from an even plane, but at the same time, Connor's a guy who's played, and that's always going to be worth something. So I think if he has a strong spring and, you know, shows that, that he is the guy because, you know, obviously last year there was a lot of consternation about both the way he and Tool played at times. Mm-hmm. He threw a lot of interceptions. I think he had some trouble adjusting to the offense at least. You know, I think if, if he shows that he's really done his homework in the offseason, that, that, you know, he's, he's really starting to pick it up. I think that 15 practices in the spring – I think he can prove that during that time mm-hmm. and go into the fall, you know, really believing like, okay, you know, I, I think he can do a lot for Mike Leach's confidence in him during the spring. Okay. So I think he has the most, he probably has the most to gain of anybody that comes to mind. 
Okay. Now, and that kind of led me, you kind of almost answered my next question, but we'll go to it anyway, is can Austin Apodaca, with a really good performance in the spring, go into the fall the leader in the clubhouse? I mean, you know, you know, I know Mike Leach says, you know, it's they're going to get just as many reps, but Halliday is probably right now his the horse who's out in front, but can Apodaca at least get close to Halliday or maybe even pass him going into fall camp? I think it's it's possible, you know. And the whole equal reps thing, it'll be interesting to see how that shakes out. Because remember, last year it was supposed to be like that between Tool and Halliday, but then Halliday aggravated that liver injury that was still healing on the first day. Mm-hmm. So we you know, we never it, it was just Jeff Tool all spring. So there there really was no competition in the spring. Mm-hmm. Um, barring anything weird, this year we should get that. So you know, I, I kind of wonder. During fall camp, I don't think you want to make it perfectly even because you want to have an, at least an idea uh, somewhat early in, in camp, somewhat early in August about who your guy is going to be. Mm-hmm. But in the spring, I mean, that's your time to really be able to open it up and, and see equally who's who's who. So, mm-hmm. but, you know, I think just for that reason, Abadaka is going to get his shot. Um, so, you know, to answer your question, yeah, I, I think if – if he shows that, you know, in, in the year he's been in the program, he's picked up the offense well enough to be in the mix, I think, you know, I don't see why Leach wouldn't give him a shot, but uh, it also depends on how on, on Halliday, too. I, I don't know how much better Abadoc would have to be than Halliday for him to go with the guy who's never played before. Okay, we'll let you off the hook with this final question. This is a toughie. I, uh, it's it's going to take a while to think about. You've been to a Pac-12 tournament in Los Angeles. You've been to the UNLV football game in Las Vegas this year. Given the choice of where to have the Pac-12 tournament, it's two great cities, Los Angeles or Las Vegas. Which one would you personally, Christian Capel, rather have the tournament in? Uh, I would definitely say Las Vegas. You know, I'm not, I'm not the biggest Los Angeles fan. I enjoy my trips down there. Mm-hmm. You know, I like. I got a couple friends down there, and the weather's always nice, and it's it's. You know, there's Disneyland or whatever if you've got the time for that. But <laughs> uh, I, I think I just think Las Vegas is. Uh, I mean, it's Las Vegas. You know, what more needs to be said? If, there, if there's a way they could get it in Longview and maybe split it between like Mark Morris High School or Columbia <laughs> College, then I'd be all for that. But in the meantime, I guess we can settle for Las Vegas. I could. I couldn't go this interview without a Longview reference, could I? I, I, I should have probably seen that coming. Christian Capel from the Spokesman Review, Spokesman.com. His blog is awesome. You need to read it every day. It is appointment reading. Christian, thank you so much for your time. Hey, no problem. All right. We got more on the Cook Center Podcast coming up right after this. Don't go anywhere. Here on the Kook Center Podcast, it is time for our Dunderhead of the Week. Freaking idiot. And you know, I think now living in Los Angeles, it requires me to pick something from the Oscars, doesn't it? I mean, there were plenty of candidates over the last week, but there were easily tons just from Oscar night. I mean, we can go with Kristen Chenoweth just being terrible, period. That whole pre-show on the red carpet on ABC was horrific. I mean, it, it bordered on 
jumping the shark. You know, jumping the shark's not a good metaphor, but it bordered on an absolute disaster. Absolutely terrible. Uh, you can pick Ben Affleck not having a sense of humor at all about one little quick quip at his beard that wasn't even really about his beard from Seth MacFarlane, who I will say I thought did a pretty decent job hosting. It's hard to host a show for three and a half hours, and he seemed to do a pretty good job of it without any real experience in doing it, so kudos to him. But one moment that I think a lot of people are kind of glossing over, and that's when Joaquin Phoenix was shown on camera while they were you know going over the best actor who was nominated. He's just sitting there chewing looking like he does not care. And Joaquin, I know you don't like the Academy Awards. You don't like, you know, that thing. You're kind of this, this isn't who I am. I'm going to be a rapper with a beard. Dude, if you're going to go, if you're going to go back on your word and just and go, at least try to look interested. Don't pull a Kristen Stewart and go up there to the mic even though you did um like uh here are the awards. Uh you were chewing and you looked irritated. These people are clapping for you whether you like, whether they like you or not. At least try to be, you know, polite. Okay? Besides, dude, you haven't done too much recently that's been good other than obviously what you were nominated for. So I guess walk the line too. But hey, I don't really like you anyway. So ask Michael anything. It's coming up next to round off the Hoop Center podcast right here at HoopCenter.com. Back to the Kook Center podcast for what is quickly becoming my favorite segment, and that is Ask Michael Anything. People are coming up with such creative questions. I do love this. Uh, Brett Gleason submits this one. Can you please explain the infield fly rule? Now, I know Brett's a baseball guy, but it is a tough rule. When you got runners on at first and second, less than two outs, if there's a pop-up in the infield and a player who is an infield player is judged to be able to make the catch. The umpire will rule an infield fly. The batter is out, and runners can advance at their own risk. And that basically comes from so you don't you know purposely drop the ball to then you know throw a double play. So basically keeps from doing that, or at least I think that's right. And who cares? Baseball's got a lot of really funky rules. This one coming from Craig Powers' uh, girlfriend Amanda. What should we have for dinner? Amanda, you should have my mom's French onion soup, and it is so good because, like most French onion soups, I think you use a lot more beef broth and red wine in. My mom uses a lot of chicken stock and white wine, and I think it makes for a much, much better flavor to go with the Jarlsberg cheese you put on top. In fact, I think so much of this, I've put the recipe for my mom's French onion soup linked in this article, okay? If that's where you were watching or listening to this, you probably wondered what the heck that was and why it was there. That's why it is there. If you're listening to this on iTunes, go to kookcenter.com right now. My mom's French onion soup recipe. It's the bomb. Uh, This one coming from my very own wife. Do you like Vegas gambling or pool parties better? Well, I usually like the gambling better because when I'm at the pool, usually, is after I've lost all my money, so I'm not a very happy camper. And finally, from Mark Sandredder. And I knew this was going to come up. Why would an upstanding citizen such as yourself, I think he means me, disgrace a hot dog by topping it with mayo? The simple answer to that is it tastes good. And a lot of people are turned off by mayo, but uh, I have a penchant for it. I love mayo on a hot dog. It is very good. You don't, you don't want to slather the thing in it. Just a little bit of mayo on there makes it a lot better. And I don't know if a lot of you knew this. A lot of folks all over the world use mayo for other things other than just putting on a sandwich. 
They dip fries in it. The French do that a lot. That is gross, though. Cook Center Podcast all wrapped up for this week. We will see you next week right here on cookcenter.com.